Join the party and spirits are playing in your city. God, we're so excited. Eric will be wearing his DMing glove the entire trip. I'm both worried and excited. Seven cities, 10 days at the end of March 2024. Your two favorite podcasts, Join the Party and Spirits, are performing live. We're playing games, rolling dice, making monsters, and a whole lot more. So come see us in Seattle at the Hereafter on March 21st. Minneapolis at Granada on March 22nd. Chicago at Reggie's on March 24th. Boston at the Rockwell on March 25th, New York City at Littlefield March 26th, Philly at City Winery March 27th, and D.C. at Atlas Brewworks on March 28th. Get your tickets right now at jointhepartypod.com slash live. That's jointhepartypod.com slash live. There you can see all the ticket links and find the city that works for you. When you're rolling the bones, your future is looking good. Join us. Welcome to Spirits Podcast, a boozy dive into mythology, legends, and folklore. Every week we pour a drink and learn about a new story from around the world. I'm Amanda. And I'm Julia. And this is episode 338, all about your mother goddess and mine, Freya. Ah, uh, Freya. Well, everyone, welcome to, once again, it's Norse, of course. Boom, 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 boom. So as Amanda already told us, we are going to be talking about the goddess Freya today, who we've mentioned a couple of times at this point, but I'm very, very excited to kind of dig deeper into her whole background and lore because I think that she is fascinating. And as always, Amanda, just uh, keep in mind as we're going through this, what title you want to give Freya at the end of this episode. You've been on the ball with all of these so far. I've been very, very happy with them. Thank you. You got it. So Freya is the goddess of blessings, love, lust, and fertility. Okay. Which, at least in my mind, I feel like I'm somewhat colored by our understanding of like other love and lust goddesses, in particular goddesses like Aphrodite. That's when we talk about love and lust, the first that comes to my mind. But Freya is really interesting. While not an exception, she's a very interesting flavor of love goddess. And I think you'll see a little bit more of what I'm talking about as we dig deeper into her. You know, a lot of my assumptions or the kind of Greco-Roman tradition of mythology that, you know, you and I read books about in elementary school lead me to false assumptions about Norse mythology. They, you know, because it's a whole mythology and and worldview and, and cosmos, have their own understandings of dualities that I expect to be, you know, competing, but are actually complementary. Like so often we're taught in, you know, puritanical U.S. society that love and lust are, are opposites or are competing or are a choice or a binary. And it sounds like Freya doesn't think that. So I'm excited to learn. Yeah. And I think it's really interesting just to go on a little aside before we get into the episode. I think it's really interesting now that we've done a bunch of these, it's Norse, of course, episodes and how they kind of compare to our it's all Greek to me episodes, I think a lot of times we tend to assume like, oh, all Western mythology and all Western folklore is going to look basically the same, right? Because I think, and we'll talk about this later on the episode, Christianity kind of whitewashed everything. And mm. so we truly kind of look at them like, oh, okay, well, you know, that God fits that archetype, that God fits that archetype, and that's it. Like, there's no real differences. But I'm sure there are and this is more of a historian thing than a mythology thing, but mythology reflects history a lot of the times. There are big societal differences between what was happening with the Norse and Germanic people versus what was happening in ancient Greece and ancient Rome. So I think that as we go through these episodes, keeping that in mind really does help us understand like, oh, these were very different cultures. They valued different things. And we see that in the gods that they have in their stories. Yeah. And any version of world history or folkloric study that claims that all of the past has led to right now has an agenda, you know? That's true. And untangling the nuance of people who came before us and the fact that all mythologies are in a, you know, feedback loop with their time is why I love this stuff so much. 
I know. That's why we're still doing it after 338 episodes. Whoa. Ooh. (laughs) (laughs) Now, before we go into an existential crisis and talk a little bit about what makes Freya a bit different than the other love goddesses we've talked about on the show, let's talk about her epithets, which I think shed a little more light on what her whole vibe is in general. Yes, please. I know you love an epithet, Amanda. Mm -hmm. So firstly, the name Freya translates directly to lady, which gives her a real kind of royalty vibe right off the bat. Yes, just like that one dog with the good hair. (laughs) Amanda, what? Lady in the Tramp. Oh, okay. For some reason in my brain, the first thing that came up when I said lady was Sansa Stark's dire wolf (laughs) from Game of Thrones, R.I.P. Also an iconic lady. Also an iconic lady. So... Freya, lady, we love it. She also is known as Gethin, or giver. Horn, which means flaxen, which is a reference to her flaxen blonde hair. She is also known as Seer, which means sow, as in a female pig, which is a reference to her association with fertility, as well as a reference to something I'll tell you a little bit about later. Okay. She is also called Valfreya, or Lady of the Slain, and my personal favorite, Mardol, or Sea Shaker. Wow. Which, God, if someone could give me an epithet, let it be Sea Shaker. That would be cool as hell. Fuck yeah, man. So these are all like very good vibes all together. And you, as you could probably guess, our word Friday, the word Friday that we associate with the day of the week now, is likely named after Freya or Freya's day, right? However, Amanda, you might be saying, hey, Julia, Didn't you say in a previous episode that another goddess was attributed to the day Friday? Yeah, Frigga, who is not Freya, and I totally thought they were different even before we did that episode. (laughs) Amanda, great memory as always. I appreciate that. (laughs) There's a reason behind this. Okay. So as I mentioned in our Frigga episode, there is often a bit of confusion between Frigga and Freya. A lot of this is due to, in part, linguistic differences where some interpretations of Norse mythology believed that Freya was synonymous with Frigga, who you might remember was Odin's wife, right? So as you can imagine, who Friday is named after can be basically just a matter of interpretation. However, the biggest obvious difference between these two goddesses in any of the tellings is Frigga is part of the Asir and Freya is of the Vanir. Mm -hmm. So with that in mind, let's learn a little bit about the specifics of Freya, right? Hell yeah. So Freya is typically shown to be a bit more gentle and more agreeable compared to the other Norse deities, which from what we've learned of them in the It's Norse of Course series is not all that surprising. Like we know from our previous episodes that Thor would accomplish most of his goals by aggression. Mm -hmm. Odin is constantly doing it through knowledge and trickery. And Loki is, of course, all about the tricks, no treats. (laughs) (laughs) Depends how you define a treat. Well, treats for him, certainly. Treats for him, exactly. But Freya displays again and again in her stories that persuasion through Gifts, beauty, and sex are often much more reliable for getting what you want. Fascinating. A lot of times people talk about feminine wiles and kind of use that as a negative connotation. But for Freya, it is a highlight of her domain. And, you know, we don't often have like standalone stories from mythology where the takeaway is like offered a nice thing. They said yes, and everyone was fine. So I'm excited to hear some of these. And everyone was happy about it. So she is often shown as well to be very like unselfish, helpful to others. But that doesn't mean that she's also like all just sunshine and rainbows, which that would be Balder, as we learned from Balder's episode. (laughs) So she does not shy away from battle and has a bit of a taste for blood, which is relevant to her home and hall, which we'll get to next. So Freya was said to have a palace called Sesrumnir, or the seat room or the hall of many seats. Cool. I mean, sounds just logical for a hall. You would think so, right? And it's interesting, and you'll see why she needs all those seats in just a second. But this hall was located in Folkvagner, which is the field of the host, right? So clearly hospitality is a big thing for Freya here. Yeah. Now, this hall is considered the companion to Odin's Hall Valhalla because it was said that half of the dead slain in battle were sent to Folkvagner to spend eternity. So... 
that's kind of a big deal because, you know, there's a real stress for Valhalla and going to Odin's Hall if you are a worthy warrior who died in battle, right? But the fact that half of them are going to Freya's Hall as well is, like, not something that we should, you know, kind of glance over here. Yeah, I mean, it's to be sort of held in the same regard as Odin's Hall, is a pretty big thing. Yes. According to the Poetic Edda, quote, the ninth is Folkvagner, where Freya decrees who shall have seats in the hall. The half of the dead each day does she choose, and half does Odin have. So it almost implies that she chooses and then the rest show up to Odin's Valhalla instead. Yeah, she she gets the does she choose and he gets the have. Yes. So I really like the idea of she gets first picks and then the rest of them end up in Valhalla because, again, it just stresses kind of the importance that Freya has not only over the circle of life, which as a fertility goddess makes a lot of sense for her to have a focus on, but also the halls of the dead, which is a big deal. Indeed. So it also says in the Poetic Edda that while, yes, Freya did take warriors, she specifically chose women who died a noble death to join her hall as well. Hell yeah. Wow. Now, this is a really interesting role that Freya therefore plays with the dead. So uh, scholar Brit Marie Nostrum points out that the description in the Poetic Edda where Freya is said to Whenever she rides into battle, she takes half of the slain. She interprets Freya's Hall, Folk Wagner, as the field of the warriors, which kind of, again, implies this idea that it is similar or in companion to Valhalla. She also raises the question, quote, We must ask why there are two heroic paradises in the Old Norse view of afterlife. It might possibly be a consequence of different forms of initiation of warriors, where one part seemed to belong to Odin and the other to Freya. These examples indicate that Freya was a war goddess and even appears as a Valkyrie, literally the one who chooses the slain. So again, just stressing kind of this importance that is often overlooked with Freya that she was, in a lot of regards, a war goddess, was associated with death and the ideal, which we've talked about in past episodes, that the best thing, the paradise that one can have is a warrior who dies heroically in battle. And so in Norse culture, this is putting Freya at the like tippy top of the importance of the gods. Yeah, she's not like doing catering in Valhalla. You know, yes. she's not sort of providing hospitality in Odin's Hall. She has one of her own, which sounds pretty significant to me. Yes. And again, I like that you're like, she's not providing catering. But again, like the translations of her hall and her land are very much like, this is the host. This is the person who has seats at her table and is inviting you to join her. Yeah. And I really like that imagery a whole lot. Yeah, she's not a servant. She is a host of her own. Damn right. And again, a lot of times we kind of dismiss domestic, quote unquote, domestic labor as being unimportant. But again, this is a woman who is leading her own hall, who is helping to serve the mead, who is inviting these people into her home and saying, sit, enjoy, you, your burden is done in battle until Ragnarok comes, at least. Yes. So Freya, being an occasional warrior, does not often go into battle with the sort of like melee weapons that we would associate with the other gods like Thor and Mjolnir, right? However, that does not mean that she does not have some dope-ass items that assist her in battle because all gods should have fun magical accessories. That's my hot take. 100%. That's why I become a god. I mean, come on. Amanda, if you had a cool magical accessory as a goddess, what would you want that cool magical accessory to be? You know, I'm in my uh, my agriculture era right now, Julia. I'm doing a lot of um, rooftop gardening semi-illegally in my apartment building. And uh, I may have to move soon. Don't ask about it. It's annoying. But I think that mine would be a watering can that made all plants immediately ripen. So if my little baby cucumbers could like spring up to be, you know, six foot long vines making precious pickling cucumbers right now, that would be pretty sick. I love that for you. That is not an item that Freya has in her collection. You know, different items for different goddesses, you know? Exactly. My personal favorite item of Freya's is her cloak of falcon feathers, which gives the gift of flight to anyone who wears it. Hell yeah. 
just incredible, right? So while Freya is often portrayed as wearing this, in many stories she actually loans it out to others in order to either assist them or to help them do her bidding, which I love the vibe. We love a generous goddess who knows how to share. She also has a necklace, which is known as a torque, which basically a torque is kind of like a twisted metal neck piece, hmm. not like a very traditional like change necklace or anything like that, but rather like a ornate solid piece of metal that has been twisted into a artistic shape, right? Cool. This is known as brazingamen or the gleaming or amber torque, which is gorgeous sounding, right? Very cool. I went to a museum of amber once in Copenhagen. I was Ooh. there in like November, which is why the flight was so cheap, but also it was so cold outside and wet. <laughs> and the museum of amber, like I get why they chose this for Jurassic Park, because uh, you look at pieces of amber with like a bug inside and you're like, holy shit, I am nothing. The world is amazing. I can't believe that. And Amber really like shines with an ethereal light that mm -hmm. makes this a really beautiful image. Yeah, it's very often in mythology kind of associated with fire because it does seem like it is glowing from within, even though yes. it's just a trick of the light. But it's wild that it's it's just sap. It's I know. It's just old sap. <laughs> you know, in our house, Julia, we put maple syrup in our coffee, uh, iced and hot. And no matter how well you store your maple syrup, there's going to be some like buildup of essentially maple syrup hardened or calcified on on the bottle. And I'm going to start thinking of that as juvenile amber because <laughs> uh, it is essentially maple candy that I simply lick off the bottle like I am a little dog. <laughs> Millions of years in the future, Amanda, someone will be able yes. to clone you and recreate you. Wear with little <laughs> earrings. Oh, yeah, yeah. I love it. Great. So Brazingamen is actually really interesting because it was made by dwarves specifically for Freya, and she is fiercely protective of it. Extremely so. As far as I can tell, the necklace itself doesn't have any sort of magical powers or anything like that, though some modern adaptations do give it magical properties for fantasy purposes. But as far as I can tell in the original stories, it's just like beautiful and magical in the sense that it was created by dwarves for a goddess, but not like any properties that really make it magical. You and I both know, Julia, that in the right outfit with the right accessories, you feel magical. That's true. Right? It, it makes you feel like you have more powers than normal. And it's always nice to have like a signature accessory that people yes. recognize as like, oh, that's the thing that this person always wears. Exactly. Freya's rocking that. She knows exactly what's up. She also, of course, had some animal companions, much like the other gods did. Yay! Now, remember how I mentioned earlier that Freya had that epithet which referred to her as a sow? Yes. Well, part of that reason was she had an animal familiar, Hildesvini, whose name literally translates to battle swine. <laughs> battle swine. Battle swine. Ready to go. Take you into battle. Battle. Look really cute. Cute little nose. Maybe some tusks. Battle swine. I'm picturing that as like a... You know how a lot of Japanese toys had anime tie-ins? Like, yes. Something like that where it's like, <laughs> you know, the little balls that rolled out that became robots? Uh-huh. Uh -huh. Was that Baku Bakugan or something yeah, like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm picturing that, what you just did as a commercial <laughs> for those, where it's like, Beyblades, battle your friends. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So as you can imagine, uh, he accompanies her into battle, but she does not ride upon him, which would be very cool. You know, riding a sweet battle swine into battle would be awesome. Instead, Amanda, Freya has a gleaming chariot that she rides into battle, which is pulled by, I want you to guess. Oh, two, two big seabirds. You got it. You got it right that it's two animals. Okay. You're on, you're on the ball there. It's cats. Ah, even better. And like domestic cats, not like big jungle <laughs> cats or anything like that. Just domestic cats. Damn, I should have, you know, I should have guessed it'd be something a little more uh, hearth oriented. I, you know, I imagine the kitties just kind of napping with the spirits of, you know, slain soldiers uh, in the hall after they take Freya on a good run. Isn't it, isn't it cute? I love it so much. Do they have names? They don't have names. I think like a modern scholar has proposed names for them, but I couldn't find anything in the actual texts that suggested that they had names. 
Fair. They are described as being either black or blue-gray. Ooh. And we know that they were a gift from Thor to Freya at some point. Now, I've seen this a lot on the internet. I don't know how true it is, but I wanted to bring it up because I know it is a very popular theory. But it's said that oftentimes a bride as a wedding gift in Norse culture is given a cat because, again, Freya as a love and marriage and lust goddess and fertility is associated with cats. And cats typically are associated with fertility in a lot of various cultures. Mm -hmm. So that as a bridal gift is said to be a super common thing. Nice. But I think that's really cute. And the idea of just cats pulling you into... First off, it makes me think of one episode of Community where a guy is trying to create a renewable resource, which is a cat-based chariot, but he simply can't figure out how to make the cats pull the chariot. And I was like, <laughs> of course you can't because they're cats. So imagine Freya is so cool she can literally herd cats. Listen, if that's not an organizational, you know, minded person's dream, I, I don't know what is. <laughs> it's what power? So besides her wonderful animals, Freya's family life is a bit interesting as well. And also, like, knowing her relations is going to help us kind of tell some of her stories later on in this episode, right? Yeah. So Freya is the daughter of Njord, who is the veneer god associated with the sea, sailing, fishing, wealth, and the fertility of crops. Nice. So you can kind of see how he is associated with what Freya would eventually become, right? Right. Now, Freya's mother's identity is a bit of a mystery, though some scholars speculate that she might have been the daughter of Nerthus who was a Germanic deity associated with peace and plenty and also the laying down of arms after battle and like finding peace that way, which I think is very nice. And again, something that while Freya herself is kind of a war goddess, the fact that she is also associated with peace through her supposed mother is very interesting. Yeah, this might be a silly thing to say, but like in theory, you do war to get peace, right? So like it, it makes sense that those two things are closely aligned. That is No, that's a total thing and something that a lot of times I feel like people forget is like, oh, yeah, the reason you had war is to settle those differences so that you could have peace. Right. And while that's not ideal in a world where, you know, we don't want mass deaths all around, it is very much true of history. It makes sense why these are bedfellows, even if often the piece is uh, fictional or at someone else's expense or a cover for some other political move. So while we think it might be Nerthus is her mother. We're not entirely sure. However, we do know that Freya has a brother who is aptly named Freyr. Oh, that must be confusing. <laughs> uh, in some stories, they are twins, which would make sense with the association of their names. But Freyr is a god associated with wealth, prosperity, healthful weather, which I love that phrase as, yes. as in like the weather that makes you feel healthy. Incredible. And male virility. Sure. I'm going to, yes, that's totally fine. I am not going to lie to you, though. I am mostly thinking about, like, tuberculosis springs and, mm -hmm. like, you know, different retreats people can go to for the good air. Oh, yeah. Ask Freya for it. There you go. Since it's male virility, makes a lot of sense. Since his sister is associated with fertility, he is also associated with the image of the phallus, which is very typical to associate with fertility and virility gods. Sure. Now, Freya is said to be married to a god named Odur, who we don't know a ton about. He's a very mysterious kind of character. His name is said to mean both furious and passionate, as well as mind and sense, which are very kind of not at odds necessarily, but not two concepts that you would really put together. Yeah. Usually when someone is furious and passionate, you think that like they don't have a lot of sense or that they're not like very focused mind wise, I guess. Yeah, I think you're totally right. But this this feels like one of those things that I would assume is diametrically opposed that maybe there is a reason why, you know, this this is a little closer than I expected. So I'm, I'm reserving judgment. OK, fair enough. So in many of the stories that have survived of Norse mythology, Odor is often referenced as being like away on long journeys, which is why he doesn't show up in a lot of the stories, mm. which is honestly kind of a great way to write out a character where you're like, Freya's married. Don't worry about it. That's why she has these daughters that I'm about to tell you about. Oh. But he's never around. <laughs> All right. Sure. Yeah. What else? It is said that, however, in his absence, Freya would shed tears of gold, which, as I'll mention later, are a reference to a plant. Oh, good. <laughs> 
with Oder when he was around, Freya gave birth to two daughters whose names were Hnoss and Germasi, whose names both translate literally to treasure. Wow. So they were, according to the Eddas, quote, so very beautiful that afterwards the most precious jewels were called by their names. That is pretty good to have a beautiful jewel be like, fuck that name. We used to call it Diamond. Now we're calling it Bethany <laughs> or whatever. I love the idea. It's like, you know what? This person is so good. Yeah. So beautiful and so yeah. fair. We're going to name all the nice things after them. Yeah. Amber, forget it. Her name's Keisha now. <laughs> oh, I love it. It's so good. Yeah. Oh, man. I If I choose to have children, I only hope that they're as awesome as we could rename some nouns after them. Yeah, exactly. So Freya is considered the leader of the veneer gods, which lends herself well to an art that is not often practiced by the Asir, but rather the veneer, which is seadir. We mentioned seadir in earlier episodes, but this is basically a form of magic which allows practitioners to know and potentially change the future. We mentioned it in the Frigga episode. We vaguely mentioned it in the Odin episode. But practitioners are sometimes known as Volva, and Volva can attempt to alter the events that they see through Sedir, which in many stories leads to their enemies' doom or helps deliver friends from impending disaster. Like, very, like, kind of, oh, I see this image in my head. It's very, in my mind, it's X-Men. Yes. You know, where it's like, ah, I've had this premonition or charmed. I grew up with charmed and X-Men, <laughs> so that's what I think of when I think premonitions. So it's like, oh, I saw this image. I don't have a very clear idea of what exactly is happening, but I'm going to do everything in my power to change it. Right? Makes sense. However, this is an art but not a perfect one, which leads to a lot of dramatic tension when we see it used in stories. So, for example, you might remember Frigga's attempts to stop the death of Baldur after seeing that premonition of it through Sadir, right? And we know how that went. It's fascinating and a really good story tool. Yeah, it really is. God, more stories should have premonitions. I know a lot of fantasy stories already have premonition dreams and premonitions in general, but man... I never get tired of it. It's a trope for a reason. It is. It is. So now that we've got our background on Freya, I want to tell you some of my favorite stories about her. But first, I think we need to grab a refill. Let's do it. Welcome to The Refill. Hello, it's Amanda. And I would like to say hello, not just to you listening, but to our newest patrons, Sydney and Kelly. I hope you enjoy the uh, refreshing cucumber mint lemonade that I have prepared. Welcome as well to our supporting producers, Alicia, Anne, Brittany, Fruity Chick, Hannah, Jack Marie, Jane, Measlekins, Lily, Matthew, Megan Moon, Nathan, Phil Fresh, Rico Lake, Captain Jonathan, Malachi, Cosmos, Sarah, Scott, and Zazie, and our legend-level patrons, Ariana, Audra, Bex, Chibi Yokai, Morgan, Sarah, Schmitty, and BME Up Scotty. You too can be thanked by name and know that you are literally making it possible for us to make this podcast if you join as a patron for as little as four bucks a month at patreon.com slash spirits podcast. Did you know that on Patreon, you can A, pay in your local currency in almost all cases, and B, you can pay upfront for a whole year of spirits support and bonus content and good stuff. Julie and I just recorded earlier today a advice video podcast for patrons. It is so much fun to do and you make it possible for us to do this as our jobs. So please go ahead, pledge your support now at patreon.com slash spirits podcast. I would like to recommend a YouTube channel that has been getting me through my evenings recently. I uh, have been doing lots of work and coming home pretty sleepy. And I just watch uh, very calming videos of people tending to their gardens. Uh, and one of my favorites is Jacques in the Garden. Jacques spelled the French way in the garden, um, which uh, just a lovely man and his dogs, chickens and partner in San Diego gardening in a way that I truly cannot fathom here in New York because they are several zones warmer than me and do things like grow tomatoes all year round. But it is so charming and soothing and uh, makes me really excited to have my own little tiny rooftop garden grow this year. Now, uh, we uh, made a little mistake, guys. We uh, realized that there were more 
sticker of the month club stickers available in the DFTBA warehouse than we realized. And by that, I mean the warehouse saved some in a place they didn't realize, and now they're back online so you can buy them. So that's right. If you missed out on one of the sticker of the month stickers that we did a little while back, there were some adorable designs. There are truly just a handful of each kind. Uh, so you should go to our merch store, spiritspodcast.com slash merch and get those stickers now. We're also dreaming up new merch ideas for you all. And hey, if you have a great idea as to what kind of work merch we should make, I have good news for you, which is that it's our favorite time of year. Multitudes annual summer survey, baby. God, I'm so excited. It truly is my favorite time of year because this is when you can tell multitudes student as a whole and each of the individual shows in the collective that you listen to what you think. Tell us how we're doing, where you want us to do live shows, help us get new merch ideas, like I was saying, and all of your deep-seated feelings about podcasting in general. We're all like podcast fanatics over here and we really want to hear them. The survey takes about 10 minutes, works great on both desktop and mobile, and ends with a huge and adorable collage of pet photos. The results of the survey honestly do help us chart a path for the future. Your answers in previous years were the seeds that grew into the multi-crew, digital live shows, the Discord, ad-free episodes, and new shows like Games and Feelings and Tell Me About It. So go to multitude.productions slash survey right now or click the link in the description to fill out the survey. We are accepting answers until June 9th, so fill it out as soon as you can. That's multitude.productions slash survey or click the link in the episode description. You hear our voices all the time. Now let us hear yours. All right, folks, this show is sponsored by BetterHelp, and there are lots and lots of ways that you take care of others, but not a lot of time that you really reserve only for yourself. And by you, I mean me. In the last few weeks, every morning that I have gotten up and gone up to the rooftop where I'm growing some vegetables this year to check on my little plants and my little seeds and make sure they have all of the water they need and make sure nothing, you know, disastrous has happened during the night, that is really one of the few moments during the day that I know is just for me and like, yes, I'm tending to the garden, but also I get to take a breath and a pause and put my face up to the sunshine and just take a little minute. And it's really, really helpful to make sure that I do that. And in therapy, my therapist really encourages me to keep at it and to find more opportunities to do that. Because when I, you know, give back to myself and make sure that I feel balanced, I know I can show up for the people in my life. And BetterHelp is a really good way to get started with therapy if you're nervous, if you can't access it in person, or if you've been trying a more budget-friendly way to get into therapy. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Find more balance with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com spirits today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash spirits. We are also sponsored this week by Kitsch and Lots and lots of fans of Kitsch say that it is literally game-changing. They say that the time-saving beauty essentials for hair, skin, and body that Kitsch makes has changed their beauty game. And no matter what your budget, skin type, or hair type, Kitsch believes you deserve little indulgences at affordable prices. They were started in 2010, and they now have a ton of bestsellers carried in over 20,000 retail locations. That includes satin pillowcases, caps, and eye masks, which, by the way, is vegan and cruelty-free satin. I didn't realize not all satin was vegan and cruelty-free. That's good to know. They also have heatless satin curling rollers, meaning that if you curl your hair but you're a little concerned about heat damage, these are excellent heatless curlers. They have great shampoo bars made of rice water, rosemary, scalp oil, and so much more. Right now, Kitsch is offering you 30% off your entire order at mykitsch.com spirits. That's right, 30% off anything and everything at mykitsch, spelled M-Y-K-I-T-S-C-H dot com slash spirits. One more time, mykitsch.com spirits for 30% off your order. And now let's get back to the show. So for this cocktail, I am introducing one that I am calling the Freya's Flax. So this cocktail, which is flaxen in its color, much like Freya's hair, it is a little bit sweet, but also has a deep richness to it. So it features scotch, 
Cointreau, apple and lemon juice, and a little bit of ginger beer. And I think it really gets across the whole vibe that Freya's kind of got going for her here. So that like initial sweetness with hidden depths. It is also a very good way to use up a bottle of perfectly fine scotch I have that I don't really want to drink neat. So this is a great combo. I had trivia last night and one of our bartenders was leaving a little early and he's like, yeah, he was telling us like, yeah, you know, I really like to take the empty bottles home with me to like make stuff out of them, especially like the cool shaped ones. Yeah. And he was like, I really want to take this bottle of Anejo home, but no one ever drinks it. And there's like three shots left of it. I was like, Peter, sign us up for some shots. And he's like, really? I was like, okay, great. And we did the shots and I was like, whoo, that tasted bad. It was not very good. It was like sweet and old. And I was like, all right, yeah. take the bottle home. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, shout out to people who have alcohol that they want to use up. This is a great cocktail for that. Oh, yeah. Plus, I always like I don't drink a lot of apple juice, but sometimes I buy it for recipes and using this in a cocktail is a good way to get rid of that apple juice that I don't want to use anymore. I love apple juice and drink it all the time. Eric, uh, my husband does a lot of like mulled apple cider as a sort of, you know, in the autumn, especially. But it is there's like a renaissance in heirloom apple juices yeah. and ciders recently. So you can get like honey crisp apple juice and like all kinds of stuff that you couldn't get in the past. So I think actually that the honey crisp would be a really good Ooh. addition to this recipe because it does have uh, even like, I don't know, it's like a mellower sweetness than a typical mm -hmm. apple juice doesn't taste as it doesn't taste like sugar. It tastes like apple, which I personally really like. That'll probably pair really well with the scotch. That'll be interesting. Next next round, Julia. Yeah. You have to send me a list of the ones that you would recommend so I can look out for them in the store. Of course. Let's get into our stories of Freya. To start things off, I just want to briefly talk about one of the earliest stories we have of Freya, which is her involvement in the war between the Asir and the Veneer. So this was, as I mentioned in kind of the world building and Odin episodes, the Asir and the Vanir were groups of gods who were at war with each other and then made peace and kind of joined forces together. So in the prose Edda, there is something called the Yinglinga saga, which tells the story of the early Norwegian kings and also Odin's arrival in Scandinavia and, of course, the war between the gods. The war goes on, but when the two sides reach a peace settlement after the fighting, Odin asks Freya to oversee the offering of the sacrifices, which is a big deal because Odin, as we know, is the Allfather and is headed the Asir, but by asking Freya to do this, it's saying that he trusts this leader of this opposite force, which is a kind of a good way of them coming together, right? Hmm. So in this role, Freya is able to preserve the peace between the gods and maintain the cycles of fertility that keep the world in motion. Again, this kind of idea that she is associated both with the cycle of life and also death. So she, of course, for these efforts was praised and celebrated so much so that her personal name was applied to all, quote unquote, ladies in good standing. Remember how I said Freya mm -hmm. means lady? That's where we get ladies from. Damn. So this saga also claims that Freya introduced the Asir after the war to the practice of Seder, which we talked about before, which ended up being utilized by several of the Asir in later stories of Norse mythology. Hell yeah. From the poetic Edda, there is another story featuring Freya and her favorite servant, whose name is Otar. Right. Otar approached Freya one day and told her that he didn't know his ancestry, but he wanted to know more in order to settle a bet against another man whose name was Angantir, which I, I love. This is like, oh, you think you're so cool? Well, I can name all of my family tree going back five generations. And he's like, oh, well, I can do six, you know? I know. Damn. What bragging. So Freya, who adored Otar was more than willing to help him out. And Otar also like made a bunch of beautiful sacrifices to her. And she was like, ah, oh, my, my sweet servant, I'll do whatever you ask. So what she does to help him is she transforms him into Hiddlesvini, the pig familiar, the battle swine, and took him to see a wise woman named Hindla. Now Hindla knows a lot of stuff as a wise woman. However, she at first did not want to reveal any of this information to Freya. She's doing a lot of hemming and hawing and whatnot. And then Freya eventually has to resort to threatening her. Again, while Freya is nice, Freya is not always nice. 
you start with the nice and then you move into, hey, wouldn't it be sad if this thing happened to you? <laughs> wouldn't it be a shame if something happened to you uh-huh. because of my, my pig here? <laughs> He's called a battle swine. He's not called a nuzzles your hand and never bites you swine. Exactly. Exactly. So this wise woman, you know, now properly motivated by Freya's threats, begins to recite an extremely complicated genealogy and identifies Otar's place within it. Now, Freya is listening to this and she's like, oh, this is this is really complicated. I don't think he's going to be able to remember all this. I don't think he's going to be able to win the bet. So she looks at Hindla and says, "Okay, what you're going to do so that my pig here can remember all of the things that you're saying is you're going to pour him the beer of memory. What's the beer of memory? Well, Amanda, it's basically a memory potion, but in the form of beer. I mean, God, I wish. God, I wish. I wish beer made me remember things better rather than worse. I know. So I have actually the part of the poetic Edda that she yes. talks about this in. All right. Oh, so- Julia, you know me so well. Yes, please. So she says to Hindla, to my boar now bring the memory beer, so that all thy words that well thou hast spoken, the third morn hence he may hold in his mind, when their races Otar and Engadir tell. Damn. Which is just, you know, imagine giving beer to a pig so that he can remember his lineage. In Incredible. So she feeds the beer memory potion to the guy. He's able to defeat Angantir in remembering more of his genealogy, and he wins the bet. And that's the end of the story. And he got to drink a beer, and, uh, and his be boss pig. loves him. Yeah. Yes, and his boss loves him. So everything's Incredible. going great for him. Incredible. Now, the next story will sound familiar, but only because we told the story from the perspective of Loki in the past. But this story is of Freya and her almost marriage. Yes, Julia, giving us both sides of this, like a like a heist movie where the fifth act of the heist movie is looking back at why the beginning of the heist, which seemed like it didn't go so well, actually they planned for it. Exactly. Danny Ocean? <laughs> I am. It's me, Danny Ocean. <laughs> yes. A lot of stories and problems that kind of arise around Freya were simply because she was just too damn hot. You know? Oh, yeah. Our girl was just so sexy. What can you do sometimes when you're just a woman who is too sexy in the world? Things happen. You know, people have a lot of opinions about them. Uh, that does not involve uh, saying, what a good looking lady, and then leaving her alone. Yep. So basically, everyone wanted Freya as a wife, including a hill giant that one day approached the gods and offered to build them a impregnable fortress that would protect the gods from any enemy. I mean, convenient, useful. All he wanted in exchange for this tremendous gift was the sun. Oh, the moon. Sure. And Freya's hand in marriage. Now that's a step too far. <laughs> that's where we draw the line. So the gods huddle up to discuss this deal and they say, okay, but you have to complete the fortress by the first day of summer. Julia, this is simply good business practices. You <laughs> gotta make sure there is a deliverable timeline of in course. your contract. Of course. So the giant agrees to this so long as he could have the help of his stallion, uh, Svetlfari. Good. Great. The gods agree, and the giant begins his task. But the gods are so sure that he will not be able to complete the task in such a short amount of time. They're like, there's no way he could do that. Simply no way. That's why we put the sun, the moon, and Freya on the line here. However, as summer begins to approach, the gods start realizing that with the help of this stallion, the builder is getting dangerously close to meeting his deadline. Gotta make Loki into a sexy horse. Distract Mm. him from the goal. Yes, I'm glad you remember how this goes. I could never forget, Julia. (laughs) (laughs) So worried that they are going to lose Freya forever because this marriage means that she's going to be taken to the land of giants, the gods decide that they need to sabotage the hill giants' efforts by, Amanda, making Loki into a sexy horse. Yes. So Loki transforms himself into a mare and distracts the stallion with, you guessed it, sex. You know, to be fair to the horse, I think all horses are sexy. I think all horses, good looking in their own way. Yes, I have been watching my husband play Tears of the Kingdom a lot. And yes, his gigantic horse named Meatball did make it over from Breath of the Wild into Tears of the Kingdom. We were all very pleased. I am currently playing through Breath of the Wild because I feel like I need to finish it before I play Tears of the Kingdom. And all of my horses are named after gemstones. Good. Which I haven't done an amber yet. 
but I am planning on it. I just named one quartz. <laughs> yeah. Eric's are noodle, meatball, and apples. Oh, yeah. I have garnet, quartz, and opal. <laughs> Incredible. So Loki has sex with the stallion and realizing without his stallion that he won't be able to complete the fortress in time the hill giant flies into a rage the other gods are like uh thor (laughs) thor help and so as the poem puts it quote straight away the hammer mjolnir was raised aloft he paid the rights wage and not with the sun and the moon the hill giant was killed freya was saved from an unwanted marriage the gods gained a fortress and a new foal because, Amanda, as you remember, Loki gave birth to the eight-legged steed, Sleepnir. A genderfuck hero if there ever was one. Always and forever, baby. Always and forever. Now, another story in which Freya is coveted for marriage might also sound a bit familiar. So in this story, she is coveted by the king of the Jotnar, whose name is Thrym. I fucking love the name Thrym. It's just fun to say. Thrym. Yeah. Great, great feeling. Great sound. I know, know, right? Especially when you like kind of roll the R a little. Thrym. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. The story begins not with Thrym saying, hey, Freya, you want to marry me, but rather with Thor awakening one day to find that Mjolnir is missing. Oh, no. Not good. That's his, his boon companion, the big hammer. His thing. So Loki, in a surprising twist for Loki, volunteers to try to find it and asks Freya if he may borrow her falcon feather cloak, mm-hmm. which, again, my favorite item of Freya's, which she gives to him freely. The poetic Edda then says, quote, Then Loki flew and the feather dress word till he left behind him the home of the gods and reached at last the realm of the giants, which I love that description so mm-hmm. much. I'm picturing it. Like the whirring of propellers on a prop airplane and going zoom and then off Loki goes. Oh, that's good. I was picturing like you ever see like ladies with a essentially like fur coat cape situation when it's like too warm. Yeah, that's that's what I'm picturing with like the hem billowing. Oh, I love it. Yes. Like a like a Miyazaki character in the wind. Yes. So at this point. After Loki is going, he discovers that Mjolnir was stolen away by Thrym and that Thrym will return it, but only in exchange for Freya. Oh, she's too sexy again, Julia. Just too sexy. So when Loki returned with this offer, which he didn't really make it seem like an offer. He was kind of just appeared in the hall of the gods and was like, all right, we got to go. If you want Mjolnir back, Freya's got to go to the land of the giants. Sure. Now, Freya became so furious at this news that the palace of the gods shook on its very foundations and her necklace Brisingamen cracked and fell to the ground. No, not the pretty. As the poetic Edda puts it, quote, wrathful was Freya and fiercely she snorted and the dwelling great of the gods was shaken and burst was the mighty Brisings necklace. She then retorted to Loki, quote, Most lustful indeed should I look to all if I journeyed with thee to the giant's home. Basically like, damn, I would look pretty desperate if I agreed to marry the king of the giants. Seriously. Freya's got standards. She is sexy and she has standards. Like, not today, Loki. Not like this. Not with you. No, but luckily, one of the gods, Heimdall, and you might remember this part from our Thor episode a while back, devises a scheme to once again keep Freya from being married off. So they decide to dress Thor as Freya, Mm. adorning him in her prized necklace and a bridal veil so that he can enter Thrym's hall undetected. And Loki goes with him dressed as his maid, or in this case, Freya's maid. And the two are able to recover Mjolnir and forcefully take it back to the Hall of the Gods. See? Drag's been with us forever, people. It just has, you know? Like, cross-dressing features in so many stories of mythology, and no one had any problems with it. No one was fucking laughing at Thor being like, ha-ha, or being like, oh, Thor is totally unmanly now that he has decided to dress as a woman. No, everyone's like, yeah, fucking Thor did what he had to do and whooped the ass of Thrym. Mm-hmm. Just another, Just another classic from Norse mythology. I know conspirators know. But just to yeah. say, come on. Listen, people. sometimes we just, we're not yelling at you, because we're yelling at the <laughs> we're people. We're yelling. Who, we're yelling. Yes, we're just yelling. 
So now this final story that I have to tell is a little different because it does not come from the traditional Norse sources, the Eddas or anything like that, but rather was a 14th century narrative written by Christian priests, which, as you can imagine, does not paint a quote-unquote pagan goddess in a very nice light. Sure. However, I do want to share it because, like, as we discussed early on, Freya is a goddess not only of love, but also fertility and most telling lust, right? So this is a story that definitely is told through the kind of moralizing lens of Christianity. But I also think that it's worth telling because it does feature a part of her domain that we don't touch upon that often. Sounds good. So in this version of the tale, Freya is shown to be a concubine of Odin. Again, just the like real Christian like, oh, well, you know, you're not his wife. So yeah, kind of vibe. Yeah. Now, Odin is infatuated with Freya. And Freya, of course, as we've talked about already, extremely beautiful. One day, Freya slipped away from the palace of the gods and came across a cave where four dwarves are working on crafting a necklace, which, while the story does not say it outright, is definitely her infamous Brisingaman, right? Now, Freya, as the story goes, loved all fine things, and upon seeing the necklace, desired it immediately. And as we talked about, it's a beautiful necklace. Like, it is canonically gorgeous, right? We've all been there. We've all been there. You go to a jewelry store and you're like, oh, no, I want it. I want it so bad. Yeah, or a bookshop or a plant nursery. You know, you all have your thing. Everyone's got their thing. So the dwarves agree to give it to her, but only if she will consent to have sex with each of them, which Freya unabashedly agrees to. Cool. I mean, listen, this sounds like a great day for Freya, frankly. Yeah. Like, if like if that's the payment they want and Freya's down for it, fuck yeah. Let's go. Yes, Sex dude. positive queen. We I love see her. how these Christian priests are like, and adding insult to injury, you know, Freya had sex with all the dwarves. To me, that's like, Freya, get your freak on. Enjoy. Do your thing, Freya. Like, no one's stopping you. You're no. more than welcome to it, you know? I bet they're great with their hands. Come on. Oh, yeah, I bet they are. <laughs> and plus, like, the thing, too, is... Like, this is all consensual, yeah. right? Like, and again, we we tend, as you said earlier on in the episode, in Western kind of Puritan society, we tend to believe that love and lust are opposite spectrum things. But like, this is a goddess who is both and can enjoy both. And that's yeah. fine. And the doors are like, yeah, we make uh, beautiful necklaces. You're a beautiful woman. You want to like hang out all afternoon and then we all walk away happy. And Freya goes, dope. And then that sounds amazing. Yes, exactly. So we love to see it. So as is often the case, eventually Loki found out about this sexual encounter and he went to Odin to kind of just rat her out. Come on, Loki. Classic Loki stuff. Loki's jealous. Yeah, he is. He probably wants to have sex with Freya. And like, as we discussed. Or a room full of dwarves that are good with their hands. Come on. Also that. But like, as we discussed, Freya is like a very discerning lover you know she doesn't want to fuck thrym she doesn't want to fuck the hill giant who came by she wants to have sex with these dwarves and get a necklace out of it and that's great yes so odin after hearing this news and she gets ratted out by loki decides to get back at freya and so he encourages loki to steal the necklace from freya he goes all right you saw what happened you go you find the necklace So Loki, in traditional Loki fashion, transforms himself into a flea and slips into Freya's bedroom. Hmm. Freya, he finds, is sleeping with the necklace beneath her, which seems uncomfortable. Not going to lie to you. Seems not comfy. Is she wearing it and is like sleeping on her stomach? No, because here's how Loki manages to get it off of her. So Loki in flea form bites her cheek, which causes her to turn over in bed, Ah. freeze up the necklace, which Loki then steals away and brings to Odin. You know, Julia, I fall asleep with my AirPods in sometimes and I wake up and the AirPod is like under the bed, across the room, (laughs) like in Eric's pillow. Like, you know, there's there's all kinds of places things can go. So I I am not super alarmed by this necklace. That's what the dwarf said, too. (laughs) Yes. Loki gives Odin the necklace, and in the morning, when Freya finds that the necklace is gone, Freya approaches Odin to ask if he knew what happened and if he was behind the theft, which Odin is like, yes, I was. Also, know about you and the dwarves. Okay. Jealous much? And she's like, okay. And so he's like, all right, I'll return the necklace to you, but you have to perform a interesting task for me. And she's like, okay. And he says, you have to force two kings who each rule 20 kings to fight an endless war. 
And each time the kings slay each other, they will rise again to fight. And this will happen for all eternity until a true Christian arrives to end the war. Sure, sure, sure. Okay. Which, for some context, was supposed to be a reference to Olaf Tryggvason, who was the Christian king of Norway from 995 to 1000 CE. Okay, sure. So by the time this story has been written, this is enough comfortably in the past that we're like, let's romanticize the first Christian king of Norway. Exactly. And again, these are Christian priests writing this. So Mm -hmm. they're like, ah, yes, the one person who can stop the infinite war, the first Christian king. Sure. So Freya, in order to win her prize back, agrees to this task. And she's like, fine, whatever. Just give it back to me when it's done which she eventually gets the necklace back because this Christian king does show up. But this is really, as as I kind of suggested, a smear piece by Christianity on Freya. And it's interesting because while it is a smear piece, it's not wrong necessarily. Mm-hmm. Like Freya's quote-unquote like promiscuity is somewhat implied or at least referenced in the Eddas. So for example, we talked about Loki's rap slash insult battle in his episode. And he accuses her of having slept with all of the gods, saying, quote, Be silent, Freya, for fully I know thee, sinless thou art not thyself. Of the gods and elves who are gathered here, each one as thy lover has lain. Which he's like, you've slept with everyone in this room, Freya. Right. You're not blameless at all. And but like, who cares, Loki? You're drunk. Shut up. Yeah, which I, which I get why he thinks is an insult, but I'd be Freya and be like, yeah, <laughs> great. <laughs> I mean, I would be Freya and I would be like, you fucked a horse, dude. <laughs> <laughs> you wish. You're just jealous. You're not on my list. Exactly. Or don't you feel bad about that? Right. Well, whatever. Again, Freya, a discerning sexual partner, in my opinion. Seriously. Now, those are the stories of Freya, but Freya's impact in the more modern era is definitely worth mentioning before we wrap things up. She is mentioned by name in the first stanza of the Civil National Anthem of Denmark. Hey! Which was written in 1819 by Danish poet, I'm going to try my best at this one, Adam Gottlob Olenschlager. Oh, I was going to say, that that sounded great. And then you got to the last name and I was like, yep, oh, also sounds good, but... Olenschlager. That's big. is correct. So it starts, quote, it is called Old Denmark and it is Freya's Hall. Okay. Which I love that. Yeah. There are also, as I mentioned earlier in the episode, several plants that were named after her, such as Freya's hair and Freya's tears. Though in a real kind of lol, it's not pagan, it's fine Christian rebranding, many of these plants were instead renamed to include the Virgin Mary instead of Freya. Uh, Yes, classic. Which is also interesting because some of Freya's more kind of benevolent characteristics around fertility and like kind of granting forgiveness to women were transferred to the Virgin Mary with the eventual kind of aggressive spread of Christianity across Europe. Right. So Freya, not like super, we tend to mention like, for example, the God of War games in these and the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Freya, not really involved in any of those at all, but in... A lot of cases you can kind of see where some of Freya's qualities were put on to Frigga in the Marvel Cinematic Universe before she was unfairly killed. (laughs) Well, Julia, I've been thinking all along about my epithet for Freya. And I think I have one. Now, there are a lot. There's obviously fertile is one, not Mm -hmm. what we're going to be going for here. There's fancy, which I think is also nice. She likes the finer things in life. Mm -hmm. Fearsome, perhaps. Mm -hmm. But I think I'm going to go with Freya the Formidable. Ooh, I like that one. Because if she sets her sight on something, she knows how to get it. If you cross her, you're in for not an easy time. And if she invites you to her hall, it's a formidable experience. It might make you a little bit like make sure you're well-dressed and on your best behavior. But then once you get there, you realize, wow, to be in Freya's favor really means something. Or, you know, just proves that you are formidable if you wind up in her hall as well, which I really love. Amanda, Freya the Formidable. I love it so much. Yay! Well, thank you for doing this wonderful deep dive, Julia, into a goddess whose name I knew, but whose story I did not. And I'm really excited where, you know, next time I'm in my garden and I'm thinking about what my magical watering can could be <laughs> like and how I hope my plants, you know, present all kinds of wonderful and bear all kinds of wonderful fruit. I'm also going to be thinking about pleasure and about flowers and how I can make a, a lovely, hospitable 
area for creatures big and small, you know? Yeah. I Amanda, I love it. And conspirators, next time you are the host to four awesome dwarves, remember, stay creepy. Stay cool. Spirits was created by Amanda McLaughlin, Julia Shafini, and Eric Schneider, with music by Kevin McLeod and visual design by Allison Wakeman. Keep up with all things creepy and cool by following us at Spirits Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Tumblr. We also have all of our episode transcripts, guest appearances, and merch on our website, as well as a form to send us in your urban legends and your advice from folklore questions at spiritspodcast.com. Join our member community on Patreon, patreon.com slash spiritspodcast, for all kinds of behind-the-scenes goodies. Just a dollar gets you access to audio extras with so much more, like recipe cards, both alcoholic and non-alcoholic, for every single episode, director's commentaries, real physical gifts, and more. We are a founding member of Multitude, an independent podcast collective and production studio. If you like spirits, you will love the other shows that live on our website at multitude.production. Above all else, if you liked what you heard today, please text one friend about us. That's the very best way to help keep us growing. Thanks for listening to Spirits. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.